Mark Zumoff is the television voice of the Philadelphia 76ers. He is a Philly native, born there, raised there, and now working there. He was a passionate fan of the Sixers and remembers them moving from Syracuse, now a bigger supporter of basketball than ever before. You can literally hear him up and down the country this week as the Sixers are in town to play host to the Celtics at the O2 Arena. I caught up with him about his life in broadcasting from a cosy pub in Mayfair called The Audley, aptly placed near the US Embassy. Growing up in Philadelphia, Temple University, what has that done to inspire like the passion you have for this job that you do now? The fact that I'm a fan, that as far back as I can remember, I was a Sixers fan. In fact, I go back to the first year of the team. So the franchise moved from Syracuse, and in 1963, my father took me to a game. The first year of the team was in Philadelphia. It was a dark, old, dingy arena. There might have been three or 4,000 fans. Um, the players wore short satin shorts, and... Um, I don't think there was any TV and maybe some radio, but my memories are as vivid as they would be for any game that was played yesterday or tomorrow, and I've been a fan ever since, so I carry that passion with me when I go on television and broadcast the games. I noticed that one of your first jobs in the business was in Trenton, and I just finished reading Bob Ryan's book, and he obviously grew up there. Did you all pass ever cross? They've crossed professionally just from the standpoint that he obviously is a sports reporter of national, if not world renown, and of course uh, hot on the Boston Celtics beat as a columnist for a long time. But um, it is not uncommon for many people, and it may be true here as well, uh, in our country to start out in smaller towns, whether you're a broadcaster or you're a writer, that sort of thing, and eventually move up in market size. I certainly have great respect for his work, and uh, I know that he is very passionate about what he does and the NBA game in general. So what was the sport that gave you your first opportunity? And I know you did a lot of soccer as well. I have. So obviously, I would guess that soccer in our country pretty much has the same stature that basketball might have in Britain. My first exposure to television sportscasting was doing indoor soccer. But, of course, I also love the outdoor game. And now, even as I do the Sixers, our league, MLS, operates in the summer, and I will fill in on occasion if the union announcer can't make the game. But I've done a number of different sports. That's just the way it is for sportscasters. Uh, you have to get your work where you can. But basketball is, was, and shall remain my first and most important love. Can you remember doing mock-up broadcasts as a kid in your house? You always read someone's autobiography and they, whether they're an actor or a singer, they always did that in their mum's basement or whatever it is. That's right. So it's hard to imagine now, but when I was much younger, there weren't as many television channels as there are now. There certainly wasn't cable or the internet or ESPN or anything like that. So you could turn the sound down and do play-by-play play into your tape recorder, but there might be only one or two games a week. So I would come home, and I would literally make games up in my head. 
and I spiced it up because on my television I would go to a channel where there was no broadcast signal and there would just be static and the static sounded like crowds so I would regulate it in the background and when the Sixers would score a basket I would crank it up and it would sound like a crowd so um, that's that's what I did but even stuff like that which sounds kind of silly and childish helps you to build upon your career to the point where you can eventually become a professional. One thing I really respect about your industry, and I, I literally mean the American sports industry, is the amount of games you have to cover, which means air travel, which means not seeing your family very much. How do you make every broadcast different in that sense? Well, I think you do that no matter what the circumstances. Certainly the last three or four years have been trying because the team hasn't been good. My boss always says that you're not doing a game, you're doing a television show. So if you think about it that way, Max, what you're doing is you are taking a two and a half hour time block and you are doing what you can to entertain and inform people no matter what the team may be doing. And in our case, they lost a lot. And so you figure out different angles, you figure out ways to observe the opponent and you try to you come up with smaller stories about players as individuals about maybe some incremental improvements that they're making and now of course the team is very hot they're very popular they're starting to win so now my my job's a lot easier do you have a particular preparation or something you always take to you with to games i do so almost every announcer and this goes for um, anyone who does football in your country or basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever in my country, first of all, you're always preparing. So I know you cover the NBA, so you're always ingesting information on the NBA, even in July and August when there are no games being played. So it's the same with me. In addition to that, I go to practices, I go to shoot-arounds, I have access to the players, coaches, I go to NBA.com, I go to reliable websites, and I take all this information and I put it on an Excel spreadsheet. And it has different blocks with uh, spaces for the players and, and, and the coaches and, and the team and whatnot. And the object of putting all that information on the sheet is so it goes into your head. And then when the camera comes on, you have so much information that's kind of rolling around in your head, so to speak, that you can speak glibly about it as you're describing the action or you're on camera. So the preparation itself is constant. But on a game day, I would say it's anywhere from three to four hours specifically. How do you make the color guy look good? I mean, is your job not just to inform everyone, but to set him up as well? That's a very good question. And I think first and foremost, and I think you know this as a journalist, there has to be a sense of trust. So in our case, Allah Abdelnabi, who played for Duke, played several years in the NBA, and actually played professionally in Europe. We've developed a sense of trust because we've learned to develop a friendship. We like each other. I know what he likes to speak about. He knows what I like to speak about. And so my job is almost like as a point guard in basketball where I'm passing and I'm setting him up and the object is to make him look good. And then after a while, you develop something that's called chemistry where the illusion then becomes you're almost like two guys sitting in a pub watching a game and you're talking about the game. And that's the illusion that we strive to, to achieve on TV. So what is a normal day for you? Because you've got recovery from the last game, you travel. What would a typical 24 hours look like? 
Well, if you were to include travel, we typically say we're going to a game, I don't know, pick a city, Atlanta. So about 3.30, we go into a charter aircraft. It's the players, the coaches, and anyone of a number of people, whether it's broadcasters, other support personnel like public relations, medical people, that sort of thing. And um, we fly to an airport, and there's no thinking involved in the traveling. There is a, an equipment truck that takes your luggage. There is a bus that takes you to the hotel. You're at a beautiful hotel. Typically, you'll, you'll enjoy the evening on the town. And then the next day, there is a shoot-around. Typically, in the morning, it's a, it's a light, informal practice that the team has. You get to watch them. You get to speak with players, coaches, whatever. Then you go back to your hotel room. You finish your work. You complete the Excel spreadsheet that I spoke about. Um, you're in constant contact with your producer as, in terms of what the show is going to look like that night, what kind of an open they're going to have, um, what are the, some of the themes that you want to talk about that night. And then you go to the arena two hours beforehand. You, again, you speak with coaches and players. You speak with your producer, your color analyst. And then it all kind of comes together when the red light goes on. Has commentating and covering the team, always being around basketball, made you a bigger basketball fan? Oh, my goodness, yes. I always say that the more you can learn about something, the more you can become passionate about it because you not only understand more of the rules, you, you understand more about strategy, you get to learn who the people are behind it all, whether it's uh, you know, getting to see what players are about as human beings or coaches or, or uh, you know, taking a trip here. And seeing that it's not just the 50 states in Canada, but it's made a fairly substantial footprint here in Britain as well. So a coming over here, hearing from people like you, interviewing Sixer fans who live here in London, uh, it makes me love the game even more and, and feel that much better about it. What was uh, your must-have possession you brought to London? Anything particularly? Well, I have a headset that um, you know, you'll traditionally see sportscasters wear over their ears and, of course, the microphone that extends from it. I've used the same headset my entire career. It's my 24th year as the, as the TV announcer. So um, that's probably the first thing I check for and the last thing I check for again just to make sure I'm not forgetting it. And then, um, you know, T-shirts to spread around to people like you who have been kind enough to, to help me out. Um, and then just... Um, just the readiness to, to take it all in. I, I, I love London. I haven't seen uh, your great city in a long time. And um, uh, th th it's a great place here. I, I, it, it's, it's nicer than I remember, and I'm only too happy to be here. Last couple of questions. Um, what's the hardest sport you've covered? Each sport, I think it has its own individual pluses and minuses, if you will. American football, because of all the players, that could be a little bit difficult. Um, I love to do soccer, football. I love the flow. I love to listen to the Premier League announcers and hear how they call it and try to emulate them. Um, hockey, ice hockey, I don't know how many of your fans are familiar with that, but players are constantly going in and out. The game is very quick, so you have to be able to memorize numbers and be on that. Baseball, American baseball, as you know from going to the Dodgers game, is very slow, so you have to be ready for stories and a lot of different nuggets. So each sport has its own individual characteristic that, that you have to be ready for. Um, 
but I love basketball and the flow of the game, and as long as I can do basketball, I'll continue to do that. Who's got the best press food? That's a great question, because there are some cities where you know you're going to skip the meal, and that you have absolutely no, and that popcorn is going to be your dinner that night. You're going to stay quiet on which teams? Uh, I'm going to say that um, I'm not sure how much interest this will have for your fans, but Phoenix is pretty good. Uh, L.A. is good. Chicago's typically been good. Um, Those are the ones that stand out right now as the ones that have pretty good food. We're talking about the press food in the arena, right? We're not talking about surrounding restaurants in the area. Okay. Then for press food, those, those are the ones that are tops on my list. You know, sneaky good press food, Brooklyn Nets. Well, I went there last year and I was impressed because I got like cake at the Knicks, just cake. And then at the Brooklyn Nets, I had a wide variety of spread. You could have been a vegetarian, meat, whatever you wanted, it was there. Let me say this, Max. You're really showing how much of an NBA head you are. <laughs> I mean, if the conversation has devolved into press food, it shows you how much you're, you're into. You are really into it. Um, Mike Breen's got his bang, and you've got yes, you know, the, the joy of a basket. I, I, well, there's a YouTube clips on, uh, clips on YouTube. Andre Godala's got loads of game winners, and you're calling them. That wasn't forced at all. That was a natural thing, and now it's become your trademark almost. Well, I have to be honest, and I won't say that I stole it, but I know that Marv Albert is very famous for his yes. Uh, it, it just, you're right. It just came naturally. Uh, I don't know of any other exclamation that I could come up with that would be as natural. So, But I do have a lot of other expressions, and the reason I have them is twofold. One, 82 games can be a grind, so you almost sometimes have to entertain yourself. So the Sixers aren't trying to stop a basket. They're trying to lock all windows and doors. Or it's not an offensive rebound and a putback. It's turning garbage into gold. You start to come up with phrases like that to keep your own interest and also because people can already see what's going on. So what you want to do is you want to try to accent it with a unique phrase that will kind of um, add a little bit of fabric to what people can already see. What's the best Sixers team you covered? And then I'll get to the last question. Well, you'd have to say the 2001 team because they did get to the finals. It was a very unique team because it was Allen Iverson and four guys who weren't at all um, offensively oriented, if that makes any sense. They were blue-collar guys. They were grunt guys. They were defensively oriented people. And that was uh, the brilliance of the coach then, Larry Brown. His brilliance was to take a guy like Allen Iverson, who was very ball-dominant, and surround him with four guys who didn't necessarily need the ball. And he let Allen do his thing, score his 30, 35 points per game, and take his 20, 25, 30 shots. And, uh, and the other guys were in charge of stopping everybody else, and it turned out to be a great formula. Unfortunately, they did everything but win the title that year. And finally, Allen Iverson, speaking of him, he said you were the world's greatest commentator at one point. What does it take to be a good commentator? Well, you mentioned passion. I think that's very important. I think certainly for local announcers to be able to tell the story passionately through the view of the fan who's watching the game, I think that's very important. You know, there might be certain, I don't know, there might be certain basic things that announcers do that, you know, I can communicate now that might be boring just in terms of technical things. 
but I do think that passion is really important, especially when you're doing a home broadcast. Mark Zumoff, thank you very much for your time. Max, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much to my guest this week, Mark Zumoff, the TV voice of the Philadelphia 76ers. Celtic Sixers on Thursday night, 8 p.m. at the O2. Enjoy the game. Please head to iTunes to subscribe to the podcast. You can also rate and leave a review on there, and I will speak to you soon. Thank you.